Let us pray. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Romans 12.2 Dear Father, I surrender my thoughts to you today. I ask you to renew my thoughts with love, compassion, kindness, humility, and peace. Shift my mind towards a positive outcome if a negative thought enters my mind. Please help me to see the bright side when an unfavorable situation occurs. Grant me patience when an unpleasant stranger tries to steal my happiness. Allow my mind to fully rest in your word and light so that I may adorn in your glory and splendor. Guide my thoughts so that my faith can keep getting stronger each day. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's daily prayer. For more inspiration and an incredible message from our feature pastor, stay tuned to Pray.com's Sunday Service. Welcome to Pray.com's Sunday Service, sponsored by Altrua HealthShare. Follow this podcast and listen weekly to receive godly wisdom and practical advice for daily living. Stay tuned for Sunday Service, coming up after a quick word from our sponsors. There's an innovative, better way to find health care. We're Altrua HealthShare, an affordable and flexible way to take care of your family. We're a community of like-minded, health-conscious individuals who share in each other's medical needs. And you can customize your health care your way with Altrua HealthShare. You can build your membership based on your season of life and your family's needs. Head to myshare.org to find out more. That's myshare.org. Altrua HealthShare, where we care for one another. Do you love fashion? Do you love getting compliments on how well you're dressed? Are you always seeking the latest trends? Then we're talking to you. BostonProper.com is your fashion destination and the only place to go for all those nods, head turns, and new styles. No matter the day, season, or occasion, Boston Proper has what you're looking for. Sophisticated, confident clothing designed to flatter and get noticed. So visit BostonProper.com now and start creating your perfect wardrobe. Boston Proper. Wear it like no one else. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com, C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. With AT&T in-car Wi-Fi, elevate your adventure by transforming your vehicle into a reliable Wi-Fi hotspot. Connect up to 10 devices up to 50 feet away from your vehicle, making it ideal for camping and road trips. Don't miss out on the fun. Embark on your next adventure today. Visit att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi to check if you're eligible for a free trial. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Shall we give the Lord a clap offering, church? It is such a joy and a privilege to study the Word of God together with you. Today, we're going to be talking about developing a biblical worldview. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day. Grant us your grace to study your word, Lord. We acknowledge that Holy Spirit is our teacher. Open our eyes to see and give us listening ears to hear and a heart that is willing to obey your word. We thank you in Jesus' name and people of God said, amen and amen. You know, there are three types of hairstyles. The center parted, the side parted, and departed for those who don't have any hair. The reason I'm thinking about hair is because this is the first time in 21 years of marriage that I allowed my wife to cut my hair. Here's another hair joke for you. If someone is bald at the back, they are great thinkers. If men are bald in the front, they are great lovers. What if they are bald in the front and the back? They are the men who think they are great lovers. Today we are talking about developing a biblical worldview, the window through which you see the world. Story was told of a young couple who moved into their new apartment. Now the wife, every day, she looks through her window and she sees the laundry in the neighbor's backyard. And she comments to her husband and says, the laundry is very dirty, it's still dirty. So every day she says that the laundry is dirty. Then one day, she looks through the window and the laundry is super clean. And this time she commented and turned to her husband and said, they must have changed their washing machine. The husband replied, no, no, I just cleaned our windows. Listen to me carefully. Where you live will determine what you see. And what you see will determine how you live. I want you to catch this principle. You and I are living in the world, but the Bible says we are not of the world. There are two kingdoms here, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. So where you live will determine what you see. And what you see will determine how you live. That is why you and I, we need to recognize that we need to develop a biblical worldview. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, do not be conformed to this world. In other words, don't look at the world the same way the world looks at the world. You and I cannot be conformed to the pattern of this world, but you and I are called to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. That means you and I, we need to train ourselves to see differently. So let's come back to this question. What is a worldview? A worldview is one's collection of presuppositions, convictions, and values from which a person tries to understand and make sense of the world and life. It is your value system. It is the lens through which you see the world. It's the window through which you see the world. Now, this is important. What then is a Christian worldview? A Christian worldview is based on four truths. One, we recognize that God is the unique source of all truth. Number two, God's truth is revealed solely in his scriptures. And three, and we evaluate our life from God's perspective. And four, we order our life according to God's will. We recognize that God's word is the truth and we order our life according to the word of God. And we evaluate everything based upon the word of God. In summary, let me say it this way. A biblical worldview is about putting God into the equation 
of our lives. It is about putting God into the equation of our lives and gaining his perspective, walking in his ways and fulfilling his will. Hallelujah. Now, we're not going to be talking about worldview exhaustively, but I want you to consider these five arenas where developing a Christian and a biblical worldview matters. Now, the first one is the theology of the world. Your worldview about the community that you live in. The Bible says that you are in the world, but you're not of the world. And this is the command that he has given to all believers. Look at this in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Listen carefully. Your command is to not love the world, nor the things in the world. Sadly, today, many Christians are in love with the world. In other words, our ego is tied to this world. Our esteem in life is tied to the world. That's why we compare ourselves with others and we try to catch up with the Jones. We are so gravitated towards the things of this world. That's why a believer ought to recognize this. I can't love the world. If I love the world, it is in direct opposition with love of the Father. And then in verse 16, it goes on to say, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is, from the, is not from the Father, but from the world. Listen, the desires of the flesh. What is the desires of the flesh? The desires of the flesh are sensualities. It is the sexual desires. It's the activation of the passions of the flesh. What is the lust of the eyes? The lust of the eyes is covetousness. What I see, I want to have it. The Bible says, do not covet your neighbor's wife, your neighbor's property. Do not covet what someone else's have. But our heart is gravitated towards these things. The third thing it says is pride of life. What is pride of life? That you take pride in your acquisitions, what you have, accomplishments, what you have achieved your abilities, all these things gives you a sense of pride within yourself. And the Bible says the love of the world will gravitate you towards all these things. That's why a believer ought to deny this world. And we need to stop loving the world. See, I want you to catch this principle. You can't walk with God while holding the hands with the world. Why? Because they are both opposites. James chapter 4 and verse 4 says, you adulterous people. In other words, you're married to one, but you have an affair with something else. You have two loves. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? For therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Listen carefully. You can't walk with God while holding hands with the devil. You have to make a decisive choice here. That's why the theology of the world matters. This is what the Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 17. The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. In other words, look at how he contrasts the world and the will of the Father. The world, along with all its desires, are passing away. In other words, they are transient, they are temporal, but the will of the Lord abides forever. You do the will of God, that's what matters. So your view of the world will help you 
choose wisely. Your worldview will affect your lifestyle. It will affect the choices that you make. And the word of God says here, he who does the will of God. So your life and my life is about doing the will of the Father. That's what this world is about. Story was told of a missionary who returned back from the mission field. He arrived in his port in a ship and there was no one to welcome him on the harbor. But in the same ship, there was a celebrity. And to welcome the celebrity, there were newspaper reporters and there's so many fans in the harbor. So this missionary sighed in his heart and he said, Lord, I have served you faithfully and I come home, there's no one to welcome me. And the Lord replied to him in his heart, you are not home yet. When you come home, there will be a great celebration, a great welcome for you. Now listen to me carefully. This is the truth. The world is not our home. We are just passing through. Is that the theology that you hold? Is that the worldview you carry about the world? Let's examine the second one, the theology of work. It has to do with our calling. See, we need to understand there's a difference between name card and calling card. Don't confuse your name card with the calling card. What's the name card? It's the name card you give to people to know what you do. See, the key question that everybody asks you whenever they meet you for the first time is, what do you do? Because they want to know where to place you in the pecking order. Are you the CEO of a company? Are you the janitor in the company? Because the world measures these things. So that's why there is some, some attachments of grandeur to certain roles and certain jobs. And then the others are despised. But can I humbly say this? The Bible makes no difference like that. The Bible recognizes that every work is honorable before God. See, many times when we think of the work, we always think of the fruit of our labor rather than the focus of our labor. So what should be the focus of a believer? The focus of a believer must be the unseen eternal kingdom of God. I want you to think about this verse. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 18. We look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. In other words, a believer ought to train themselves to move away from what they see, the pay packet, the position of influence, the, the privileges that come with it, the responsibilities that come with it. They got to see beyond these things. They see how is God going to use me in this role or in this place of influence for his glory and for the good of his kingdom. In other words, our focus should not be on the seen. Our focus should be on the unseen eternal kingdom of God. I've always noticed that people carry a dichotomous view of work, that there are sacred work and secular work. Sometimes people think that working in the church is sacred work and working in a company is secular work. Can I humbly say this? Even a secular work will become spiritual if your focus is eternal. And even a spiritual work will become secular if your focus is temporal. So whatever work you do, your work is meaningless if your work is divorced from your witness. So you got to recognize your calling is meaningless when it's divorced from the caller. 
God has called you, but if you ignore God when you go to work, you have divorced your caller from the calling. So your calling becomes meaningless when it's divorced from the caller. The same thing, your work is meaningless when, it's, when your work is divorced from your witness. Can people look at your work and say, that's a man of integrity. That's a man of character. That's a man that honors God with his work. That's a man who takes his responsibility seriously. That's a man who does everything excellently. That's what the Bible calls you to do. Whether you're the CEO or the janitor, God says, you and I need to do the work as though we are doing it unto the Lord for his glory and for the good of his kingdom. So what is your theology of work? Why do you go to work? Examine it. The third thing I want us to consider is the theology of wealth, consumption. See, life on earth is neither a party nor a curse. It is a stewardship. Do we recognize that everything that God has given to us is a stewardship? See, I've told you earlier that there are two extreme views of wealth that we have studied in the past sessions. One is the poverty theology. The other one is prosperity theology. Poverty theology says the poorer you are, the holier you are. Prosperity theology says the more richer you are, the more God is pleased with you. In other words, you are favored by God. Listen, both are extreme ends of the spectrum. What is the theology that you and I, we need to hold on to? It's the stewardship theology. It's the providential theology that God is my provider, that God is the rightful owner of everything I have, and I am merely a custodian. You and I are called to steward our time, our talents, and our treasures for the glory of God. That's why you and I are called to honor God with everything we have. Because we recognize that everything comes from Him. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. This was written by the wealthiest man during that time, was King Solomon. And even in today's terms, he will still be the number one, the wealthiest man in the world. And he says, honor the Lord with your wealth. Why? It is to recognize that everything that I have, whether I have much or I have little, it comes from the Lord. He is the one who has blessed me. And whatever I have belongs to him. Therefore, I want to honor him. So how do you honor God? You honor God by giving generously to God and to his kingdom work. Start by tithing faithfully. See, when you set aside 10% of your income for the work of the kingdom and you give to the local church where you are getting fed, it is an acknowledgement that God is my rightful provider. He's my source of all my blessing. He, everything in my hands belongs to him. So that is why we do it in obedience. See, my wife and I, we have been practicing tithing ever since we got married. But we have also learned the principle of graduated tithe. What is graduated tithe? Years ago, I was reading this book by Ron Sider, Rich Christians in the Age of Hunger, where he talks about how once the Lord has prospered you and blessed you, that you no longer just limit yourself to give only 10%. Let 10% not become your ceiling, but your flooring. In other words, that's the minimum you give. But from then on, you graduate. In other words, you now give more. You increase the percentage of your giving based on how much more God has blessed you with. Now listen carefully. 
I'm not saying this that you should follow this, but that's what my wife and I, we do. The reason is because we acknowledge that everything that we have comes from him. So we curb our spending, we increase our giving as the Lord continues to provide. That's why three times in our marriage so far, we have emptied everything that we have in the bank and give for kingdom work. The reason we can do it is because we acknowledge that it is he who has provided us and everything that we have belongs to him. That's the call in the New Testament. Paul writes to all the rich, the ones who are wealthy in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. In other words, don't trust your riches, not to set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Hallelujah. And then he says, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and to be ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Listen to me carefully. Learn to invest wisely in the kingdom of God. Learn to invest generously. The reason is because thus you will store in heavens and you lay hold of that which is truly life. You know, in my own personal pilgrimage, being generous into the kingdom of God, living like this with an open palm and emptying when God asked me to do, I have tasted the, I have tasted, I have tasted God in, in a spectacular manner. I've tasted his provision. I've, I've seen his miraculous. You know, it reminds me of a scripture in Luke chapter 12 and verse 32, the Bible says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And then in verse 33, he says, Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Hallelujah. You and I, have read this and studied this in a parallel passage in Matthew chapter six. Here he begins by saying, fear not little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So therefore sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourselves with, with money bags in heavens. And then where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. Right there in this verse in Luke chapter 12 and verse 32, you see three pictures of God. One, you see, God as your shepherd. He says, you little flock, do not fear. See, don't fear about where I'm gonna live. How am I gonna provide for my family? He says, don't worry because you have a shepherd who looks after his flock. Secondly, he says, father, it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. In other words, the father loves to lavish good gifts to his children. He says, if you live like this, you are under the provision of a shepherd who is a good shepherd. You are under the provision of a father who loves his children and lavishes upon his children good gifts. Thirdly, he goes on to say, it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Kingdom means there is a king. He gives you the picture of God as king. God as king. He looks after his subjects. God has father. He looks after his children. God has shepherd. He looks after his flock. In other words, you will be taken care of. That's why your theology of the wealth matters. So how do you view your wealth? 
Is it your wealth or is it his? Are you doing what he has asked you to do with the wealth that he has given you? I hope so. The next thing I want us to explore is the theology of welfare. It is about compassion. See, a clenched hand is a sign of a closed heart. Open your heart to the needs of the people around you. Deuteronomy chapter 15 and verse 11, the Bible says, for there will never cease to be poor in the land. Pause, reflect upon this. It says, there will always be poor in the land. Therefore, I command you, you shall open your hand wide to your brother, to the needy, to the poor in your land. In other words, God says, you and I, we need to be generous, open our hand wide to feed the poor to look after the people who are in the marginalized. And this is something that he commands to do in the Old Testament. See, I want you to listen to me carefully. If God is the rightful owner of everything I have, then all my resources are borrowed resources, then all my resources belong to him. He can dictate the terms upon which I live and he directs where I should invest. And the more I release it, the more he is glorified. In the New Testament, the Bible says in James chapter 1 and verse 27, a religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So listen to me carefully. What is true religion? It is to be able to serve the needs of the poor that you find among you, whether it's the widows or the orphans. And the whole general principle is be generous to the poor. So how are you serving the poor through your life? There are four areas where we serve God's purposes. One, in our marriage, in our family life. Secondly, in our marketplace, in our work life. Thirdly, in the ministry, in the church life. And fourthly, in the mission, in the world. There are things that God has earmarked for you to touch. There are mission fields that he has earmarked for you to touch. Be generous to these things. And sometimes people struggle with uh, uh, having compassion for this. I want to give you a statement. I want you to take this down. While compassion supersedes commitment, yet often it is commitment that precedes compassion. In other words, start with a simple commitment. Start with sponsoring maybe a child. Give a destiny for a child. Give a lift up for a family. Maybe uphold a, a mission field somewhere. Do that. When you start with a com commitment, the compassion will follow. Otherwise, if we wait for compassion to kickstart, kick it probably would never will. So I want you to listen to me. Start with simple steps of obedience. Start with a simple commitment of sponsoring maybe one child. And let it begin from there. The fifth thing that I want you to consider is this, your theology of what's to come, consummation. In other words, you and I, we need to think about things that are going to take place in the world. And we need to be informed. We need to be instructed by the word of God. But we're not called to be alarmed, but we are called to be awakened and we are called to be alert. There are specific passages in the scripture that speaks about the last days. This is what you call the apocalyptic chapters. These apocalyptic chapters are found in Mark chapter 13, Luke chapter 21, and Matthew chapter 24 and 25. 
I want to focus on Matthew 24 and 25. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus speaks about the last days. And he gives you two things in specific for you to consider. Look at this in verse 25. He says, see, I have told you beforehand. In other words, as a Christian, we are already informed about the end of times. We are not surprised by what is taking place in the world. We shouldn't be. Why? Because the scripture points us to what is going on and what will happen in the last days. That's why you don't need to watch CNN to know how it will be in the end. You don't need to read the newspaper to find out what's going on in the world. Everything in the world that's happening right now has already been foretold. And we know what the future is. So that's why Jesus says, you have already been informed. So how we are to live, he says in verse 42, that's the second thing. He says, therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. So the call of Jesus Christ to the church in the last leg of the last days is this. Stay awake and get ready for the coming of the Lord. That's why in Matthew chapter 25, he gives him three parables. And these three parables apply to us who are living in this last leg of the last days. What are these three parables? The parables of the ten virgins speaks about be alert. In other words, be awakened. The bridegroom can come any moment. Are you ready for the coming of the Lord? The second one is the parables of the talents. There are three servants in Matthew chapter 25 that received talents from their master. The master went away for a long time. And when he came back, he asked them only one question. What did you do with the talents I gave you? In the time I gave you. So listen to me carefully. What is Jesus calling us to be? He's calling us to be accountable. Be on alert. The bridegroom can come anytime. Be accountable. Live your life as a steward of God. The third parable is the parable of the sheep and goat. In this parable of sheep and goat, there is a judgment of God that takes place. He judges those who did good works, where they met the needs of the poor, where they clothed the naked, where they saw the people in the hospital and cared for them. And the Bible says, what you do to the least of the brethren, you did for me, Jesus says. So what is it? He asks us to be active in doing good works. So listen to me carefully. He's calling his church to be ready for the coming of the Lord. This is how we should be thinking about the times that we are living in. Therefore, it should dictate how we live. In summary, what is a biblical worldview? A biblical worldview is all about putting God into the equation of our life. So I want to give you the five summary statements of what we just explored. The theology of the world. In the world, but not of the world. The theology of work. I should work honorably. Be not consumed by my work. But my ultimate work is to do the will of the Father. What is the theology of wealth? It's the stewardship theology. God is the rightful owner and I'm merely a custodian. What is the theology of welfare? I must leverage my resources and care for the poor. In other words, I gotta learn to be generous for the kingdom of God, hallelujah. Theology of what's to come. The world is passing away. Jesus is coming back in glory. Until he comes, I must be on alert 
and live as a good steward. I hope that we can embrace a biblical worldview and continue to honor God with our lives. God bless you. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray for each and every one of us, mighty God, that we'll continue to examine the worldview from which we live. Lord, I pray that you continue to tutor our hearts, that we will be grounded in the scriptures under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit to live a life that pleases you and live a life that expands your kingdom. Wherever we go, that we will bring the kingdom of God and its influence. We thank you, Lord. I pray your blessing upon your people. In Jesus' name and people of God said, amen and amen. We love you. God bless you. The podcast, The Bible in a Year with Jack Graham, is a moving and inspiring biblical audio experience that will help you master wisdom from the world's greatest book. In each episode, you'll learn to apply biblical principles to everyday life. Each cinematic episode is a journey through the Bible's most profound stories that will strengthen your appreciation of the Word and inspire you to keep learning. Listen to The Bible in a Year with Jack Graham on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. Looking for a fabulous fashion brand that celebrates you? Then look no further than Boston Proper, where styles are designed with you in mind, so you can look and feel amazing, no matter the day, season, or occasion. At bostonproper.com, you'll find fashion that knows you best. For over 30 years, Boston Proper has been the fashion destination for confident women who want to elevate their look with unique, sophisticated clothing at affordable prices. Visit bostonproper.com today. Boston Proper. Wear it like no one else.